0: welcome to Fireside. Hey, if you, if this is one of your first times here, if you're new here, uh, I just wanted to, like, there's one of these in the back you can grab, and this is, Sunday is just a part of what we do. We we go beyond Sundays. That's the hope. Um, I always tell my daughter, Emmy, that church is not something we do. It's something we are, to the point where she gets very upset with me when she says, we're going to church. We don't go to church. We are the church, but we have uh, tables coming up in two weeks, and all tables are. It's just a time for people to connect, have food. And then we have a couple sessions coming up, and sessions are, you know, all the way from three to five weeks because we believe we want easy on-ramps and then easy off-ramps as our season of life kind of goes like this. And we have two amazing sessions coming. One is called Finding Freedom, and this is for anyone who has any hurts, hang-ups, or habits that's preventing them from Following Jesus fully, whether it's uh, an addiction, whether it's just a struggle, whatever it may be, and that starts next week. And then we have a parenting session. We are a church that has a lot of kids, and I know that parents as I am in the thick of it myself, and sometimes it feels like you're just drowning, and hopefully this is a time where we can all, like, talk about our woes, but also encourage each other. How can we be the best parents as God has given us these kids to stewards? And then we have crews and a student ministry and our Sunday teams, which actually our Sunday teams in this week and last week were on our break, and so thank you for everyone who stepped up to help make this morning happen. But I want to open up in prayer if you would bow your heads with me. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we can come together and worship you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for people in our lives. Thank you for your sacrifice, Lord, that we can live with the power of the resurrection. And Jesus, we pray that your presence in this room at this moment is felt is reveal something new about yourself to us this morning and on this day. In your name we pray. Amen. So we were going to jump into a series of Acts and talk about the early church. And we're going to do that, but we're not going to do that until later in May. And uh, Kate and I and the kids, we had the chance to be in Florida this week, which is just a gift. And I, I read three books, and it was just amazing to be in the sun. To come back to this is just like, wah, wah. But summer is coming. And so I started praying, Lord, what do you want for our church? And I've been reading a lot about David. And David has so many parallels to some of the sessions we're talking about. And David is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I love David. And the reason why I used to love David was because David was the king of underdogs. You know, I was kind of a runt growing up. I didn't get my growth spurt until my junior year. I grew nine inches in one year. And so I would sit and I would imagine myself being like a David, you know, like, hey, you know, go to an NBA game. like We're down a player and like me like, I'll come and I play and then I make the all-star team and I win the game. You know what I mean? Like the underdog story or I'd be sitting in the pews and I remember my pastor would be speaking and preaching and I was just not there with him but I'd be like if a terrorist came in how would I save the day and I would just like imagine this and so I love an underdog story David was a youngest brother he had no rhyme or reason to be king but he was chosen as the youngest brother they did, he wasn't even worth bringing out to Samuel when Samuel was going to choose a king he battled Goliath isn't this like the kid's dream? You know, you go and you save the nation. This kid, this teenager says, I'll, I'll go and fight him. Probably with a cracked voice because he's going through puberty. It's like, you? It's like, yeah. And, and he beats this giant. And so I would love, I love these stories about David. But now as I grow older, David still remains one of my favorite characters. But not because of this underdog story, but because he was a royal mess up. And yet, God used him. God used him, even though he committed adultery, even though he committed murder, his pride got in the way. Over and over and over, you just see David messing up. But Jesus says, if you turn to me, I will never turn away from you. And even though he messed up, when he would turn to Jesus, Jesus would not turn away from you. In fact, Jesus is always facing you, it's just, are we facing him? And now David, even in the midst of all these things, I was reading an article, and it's an article from a website called Meadum, and meaning like the freedom from Meadum. And it says this, King David of the Bible suffered from a cunning, baffling disease known as addiction, addiction to self. And when you feel you are permitted to behave without consequence, being a slave to sin takes on a whole nother dimension. Born out of addiction to self comes all other symptoms of addiction. And David had that. David would look inward before he looked outward at time. But then he would easily correct himself. And God used David to write 73 Psalms. Jesus is called the son of David seven times alone in Matthew. David is what made Bethlehem famous. Not Jesus Bethlehem was the town of David and because Jesus was a descendant of David. That's why they went down to Bethlehem for the census. So David is exalted as a hero of faith. He's a big time character in the Bible. And it's a good light, not a negative light, even though he messed up over and over and over again. And he was still labeled a man whose heart was for Jesus, was for God. Even in the midst of that. And so I want to lean into that and I want to talk about, you know, how we can learn from his mistakes and how we can learn and grow from how he overcame some of those mistakes. So if your Bibles, we're going to look in 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is the beginning of one of the biggest failures in David's life. And we'll read in verse 11, and verse 1. In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to her. She came to him, and he slept with her. And then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, "I am pregnant." And then later, he tries to bring Uriah, her husband, back, to maybe they would. Uh, uh, he would think that this baby was his, but he refused to spend the night with her because, like, my men are the battle. He was he was actually uh, too righteous. He's like, I'm going to stay with my men, not with my wife. And so then he's in a pickle. He's like, well, what am I going to do? And he's like, you know what? I'm going to kill Uriah. So he actually sends Uriah a note. He says, take this note back to the battlefields. And the note read this. Put Uriah on the front lines. And when they are attacked, everyone retreat except for Uriah. In a sense, he is setting up his murder. And Uriah was the messenger for it. I mean, this is an awful man who's setting this up in David. But the enemy is at work as much in uh, David's play as he is in our play. And the enemy is a master of the setup. Most of our big failures don't come out of the blue. There is a process. There is a setup. Have, have, you, you, know, have you ever done a house project? Okay, so for me, like when I do house projects, usually it's to say, oh, this little, like, say it's a plumbing, it's a leak. I'm like, Kate, okay, this is going to take about 10 minutes. Kate knows better. It's like, I'm going to multiply everything you do by 10. And then after the third trip to Home Depot, you were just so frustrated. And Kate's like, well, we got to go. I'm like, there is a leak. I can't fix it. And then she says, this is like like the worst thing someone could say. It's like, have you thought about getting a plumber? <laughs> we don't need a plumber. And then you explode, right? And you get mad. And then you get mad about something that you shouldn't be mad about. It's because the enemy's baiting you and setting you up and putting you in a position to just easily aggravate you where you would fail. You know, you have a bad vacation. You know, maybe you don't have any vacation at all. And then you go on Instagram and you look at everyone's beautiful pictures and they're all tan and they all have smiles. And then you go back and it's snowing out and you start getting like this like bad dark heart and you're like, man, what's wrong with us? We need more money. We need to go on vacations. Look how happy they are. Look how miserable. And then jealousy and everything else. Have you been there before? Right? You, this is why I think Instagram and Facebook is so hard because we just play this comparison game. I remember when, I was, uh, when Ellie was in her treatment and we spent a week in the hospital during the 4th of July, and I was in a bad place. And I remember like, having people come to my mind and be like, I can't believe that they're out going to fireworks while I'm here in this hospital doing treatment, and I just got so angry. And it was a step by step where the nurse would say, hey, you know, do, do you need anything? I don't am fine. It's like, whoa, whoa, what's wrong? It's because it's a set up. And so David was set up. This didn't come out of nowhere. And I think what happens is we need to be aware of what the enemy is doing so we can avoid it. So we don't put ourselves in a position where we will fail like David did. I remember when I first read this, I'm like, you know, something must be going on. I wonder how David's marriage or marriage is, because we know he had at least seven wives, maybe more. But I'm like, I bet there's something here. So I looked and... Sure enough, 2 Samuel 6, just four chapters before, this is what we read, David had, they just brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, and David is dancing like a maniac, praising God in front of the whole city, and this is what we find, when David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, which was his wife, came out to meet him, and she said in disgust, how disgusted the king of Israel look today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. And David retorted to Michael, I I was just dancing before the Lord. And so you see, this is the beginning of a strife that him and his first wife, Michael, are are just... Not seeing eye to eye. She's mad at him. You, 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 you just acted inappropriately in front of all these girls. And who are you? You're the king. of You shouldn't do that. And you can see she, he's going back and forth. And we just get a glimpse. But my guess is this is like, David, if you weren't king, you'd be sleeping on the couch. <laughs> and so there you see, like, there's a, 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 a thing going on. And so now David's exposed. And what happens is when things like this happen, we feel like we're owed things. We deserve things. You can see David's like, I deserve a woman who respects me, who loves me, right? And now all of a sudden, you're exposed and you're vulnerable. I deserve, maybe, maybe it's not that, maybe for you it's like, I deserve this one drink or these multiple drinks. I've had a hard day at work and I deserve to be this. I deserve this dessert. I've been good. I, you know, this chocolate cake sounds good. I deserve to look at this website, and the list goes on and on because we become into a position where because everything else is bad, we feel like we're owed something good. And this is where David's at. So now he sees this woman bathing and he's like, you know, I deserve that. With My steaming wife going crazy and mad at me for praising God. I deserve that. The second thing we see with David is his pride. I was thinking about this, and I'm like, well, maybe let's go back to scriptures. And sure enough, right before the story we read, in 2 Samuel chapter 10, this is what we read. David killed 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 of their foot soldiers. He also struck down Shabbok, the commander of the army, and he died there. And when all the kings were vassals, the servants of this other nation saw that they had been routed by Israel, they made peace with Israel, and they became su- subject to them. So now David had just come back from this war. He is feeling good. Not only one nation, but several nations are saying, we will serve you, Israel, and you, King David. And he's feeling pretty good about himself. He's feeling pretty good. He's probably feeling as if he's untouchable, as if he's God. The session that's going to happen next week based their uh, curriculum on Celebrate Recovery. And step one says this. We need to realize that we're not God. Now, I know many of you say, well, I'm not God. But if you really think about it, you, sometimes we like to believe that we have the power. And it goes on, it says, I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. We have to be, go to a place where we are dependent on the Lord. When we become dependent on ourselves, we are acting as if we are God. See, the trouble for most of us is not thinking God is too small, but it's thinking that we are too big. I think this is, you know, there are times in our life where we will be up against a wall and we will say, is God big enough? And I hope and and pray that we are all encouraged to say, yes, God is big enough. But when it comes to a lot of our failures or a lot of our sins or a lot of our disobedience, it it comes thinking that we are too big. We're too powerful. We can handle this. This is fine. I just need to do this. And we elevate ourselves to God. And, you know, this is what happened with Adam and Eve. The allure was not the fruit. The allure is what the enemy promised the fruit would do. If you eat this, you will be like God. Well, that sounds pretty appealing. We like power. You know, lately, if you've seen anything online or in the news, in the past 10 years have been really hard to see so many Christian leaders fall. Good guys who did a lot of good work fall, whether it's sexual sin, financial sin, whatever it may be. And the question is why? And I think the stem, the root of the problem is their pride. They started trusting in their own power, not God's power. They actually became too powerful before they had the places and people in their life and structures and experience to keep them accountable. I remember right after Ellie passed, it was when Ravi Zacharias, who was just a brilliant man who talked about defending the faith, and, and, and I was a big Ravi fan, and he had passed away, and after he passed away, all this stuff came up about him, and it was hard, and I remember thinking, is anybody a Christian? <laughs> and why? If you ever watch Spider-Man, his uncle says, with great power comes great responsibility. If you aren't responsible with what you currently have, you won't be responsible if God blesses you with more. We always say, hey, well, if I had more money, if I had a bigger house, more cars, then things wouldn't be like they are now. If they aren't where you would like them to be now, then if you have more, they're going to be just as disastrous. And we see this a lot with leaders who can't, at this moment, use the power in a way that glorifies God. And so why would God bless them with more? And what happens is that's when they usually fall. John Tyson says this, we want abundance without dependence. We want abundance without dependence. We want more and more and more, but we don't want to be dependent on anyone, especially not God. This last week, as I said, we were in Florida and we were able to stay at a friend's house, Liz's parents' house, Connor and Liz, who are on staff here, and it was a gift. It was a gift. But there's a little bit of a different mindset when you're staying at a friend's house than it it is if you're just renting a hotel room or Airbnb, right? A hotel room or Airbnb, you're like, whatever, I paid money, I can do whatever I want. Let's use all the little soap dispensaries that we can, let's just go nuts on toilet paper. You know what it is, it's whatever, like I paid for this. And that's what we want. We want the abundance without dependence. We're gonna pay our way and we can do whatever we want. But when you're staying at a guest house or a friend's house, you have a little bit of a, uh, uh, an awareness. Well, this isn't our place, and maybe we should do this. Maybe we, and, and, and there's a little bit of a tying to that. And I think that Kate and I were keep ourselves in check. It's like, no, this is good. This is good that we're connected, that we're aware of this, that we're so grateful for this, that we're thinking about how can we bless them as they blessed us? How can we be dependent on them because they've given us this gift? But the American dream is like, if you get more, is, the American dream is like, no, no, you don't need to be, you know what, you need to get your own place in Florida. <laughs> You deserve it. It's owed to you. And now you're not dependent on anybody. And that's what we crave. But I just don't see that being biblical. God says, one, I want you to be fully dependent on me. And he's also said, you know, I want you to be fully dependent on others as well. Because once you are independent, then you're independent from not only people, but you're independent of me, Jesus. And that is a dangerous place to be. And we see that with David. He had no accountability. In the very beginning, in the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And then it says, but David remained in Jerusalem. He was left alone. He had all these friends, the the mighty men of David, that the scriptures talk about they all went to war if you've ever been a part of a team if you've ever been a part of anything you know the camaraderie there is that there's this like friendship but as a basketball player uh, um, i was like there's nothing like being on a team you know it doesn't you're just you get this bond you're close you know he had that but this particular time I think it had a lot to do with his pride. I don't need to go. You know, you go, I'm going to stay back. All of the guys who would have a voice in his life were gone. And he is left voiceless. And his servant goes, he's like, well, isn't that Uriah? That's the Uriah's wife. And he's trying, but David's like, you're just a servant. I, you don't have a voice in my life. And he is left to do whatever he wants to do. And therefore, he falls The enemy is often referred to as a lion. And if you've ever seen a lion hunt, what they try to do is they try to take the, they look at a herd and they try to take the one gazelle or the one wildebeest away from the herd. Get them away from the other people, the other animals so that they can devour on. And the enemy is trying to do that with everyone here. So if you feel like, hey, you know, I don't need anybody, watch out because you're being hunted as we speak. The enemy prowls around like a lion, waiting for someone to devour. And the reason why gazelles and wildebeests, if you go to Africa, the reason why they're in herds, because I always would wonder, I'm like, you guys are ridiculous. Like, we all see you. You're out in the middle of the plains. You know, you should kind of, like, hide. But what you realize is that they are better together. That a lion is not going to attack a herd because they are outnumbered. Not only are they outnumbered, but when they are being hunted, they make these noises and they're like, hey, guess what? There's a lion coming. And they all like surround and they all keep each other alert. But then you have this little gazelle kind of like, I don't need anybody. I'm just going to go eat. This grass is a lot green over here. And it goes over there. And lo and behold, there's a lion waiting to eat them. This is what the enemy does in our life as well. And so this is what the enemy did with David. It's a setup. I'm going to isolate you. And when you are isolated, that's when I'm going to attack. When you think you don't need anybody, when you don't think you need God, that you are all powerful, when you think you have no one spe- having a voice who can keep you accountable, I am going to attack. I'm going to mess up your life. I'm going to I'm going to make tension in your relationships, you know, so when a bigger thing comes, that you are easily to be taken down. And it It's a setup, and we have all succumbed to this. We have all been in those positions. We have all failed. We've all said, hey, I shouldn't have gotten that angry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. That was a bad night. I shouldn't have done that. Happens over and over and over, and I just want to say it is a step-by-step process to get into it, and likewise, it's a step-by-step process to get out of it. The reality is no one has ever said, hey, I want to have this addiction, I want to be overweight, underweight, depressed, divorced, addicted to porn, addicted to drugs and alcoholics. No one's dream is to do that. It's usually a slowly but steadily process that one step is not addressed leads to another step that's that's unaddressed and all of a sudden you are in a place where you are saying, how did I get here? Have you been there before? How did I get here? You know, as a parent, one rule that Kate had was no kids in the bed. This was Kate's rule. I'm a softy. I'm a heavy sleeper. So when they would come at three in the morning, and like, Dad, can I sleep with you? I'd be like, oh, come on. Get, just get, And I'd fall asleep. And Kate's like, no. Go back to your room. Get up, take him back, put him in the room. I'm like, Kate, it's fine. And Kate's like, you know what's going to happen, Andy? It's like, this is going to keep happening, and then the next night, and then the next night, and then in 10 years, we're going to say, how did we get here? And I'm going to say, because of this night right now. And so, I think that's true. And I'm not saying, like, for, for those who have kids in their bed, fantastic, if, if I would be there with you if I wasn't married to Kate. But it was, it's just a step-by-step process. You don't just like, well, how did we have four kids on our bed and a dog and a fish? I don't even know how the fish got here. How did this all happen? It didn't happen overnight. And for some of you, you're, there's hurts and hang-ups and habits in your life that you are struggling right now that is not an overnight thing. It's a step that enemy keeps chipping you away. And if they go on a dress, you're going to be in a position where you're going to be like, how in the world did I get here? And what we do is we become a slave to our sin. A slave to sin occurs when sins become habits. We are all going to disobey God. David disobeyed God, but yet he addressed his disobedience. And yes, there were consequences to that. But yet God was able to use David to be the author of 73 Psalms, which Jesus quoted the son of David, which Jesus is labeled. And for any of you who are thinking, how did I get here? For any of you who are saying, I've messed up, God will always, always be there for you with his arms wide open. If you look at the prodigal son, the son goes and I mean, I want to go in, back in time and slap him. I'm like, what are you doing? He uses all his inheritance, and he just is such a jerk. And, but he comes back, and the father has his arms open and has a party because he said, my son was lost but now was found, that Jesus is chasing after you. The question is, do you realize it? And I feel often like Romans because this is a battle. This is a daily battle where you have to wake up. And I love what Paul says in Romans 7. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do, I do. And then he says in 20, Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Have you ever been like Paul? Why do I keep doing this? (laughs) Why did I again get angry? Why did I again do this? And then the list goes on and on. I said, I'll never do that again. And I see Paul, who founded the church who, to the Gentiles, is saying, I can't even understand myself. It's not me, but it's the sin that lives in me. This happened two days ago. Uh, I made a deal with Blake, my, uh, my oldest son. And I said, hey, Blake, it's time for you to take a bath. Or a shower. You choose, Blake. All right? You choose. And then after, you can watch a show, like a Bluey or something. Have you seen Bluey? It's a funny show. So he's like, all right. I go back, and he is now playing with his brother and his sister, and they're doing, like, a dance thing on the TV. And I'm like, Blake, you missed your chance. And so I and I were debriefing it, and he's really upset because he, his night didn't go the way it wanted to. And I said, Blake, what happened and he said my brain told me to watch the tv (laughs) and then i'm like your brain told you said yeah and it was their fault because they were watching something that i liked and i'm like i was just about to get mad i'm like okay i get that because that happens to me like on a daily basis my brain told me to do it there's something inside of us that's like i want to do this you can see david right She's beautiful. I want to do this. He could say, hey, it's, it's God. You made me like this. It's this your fault, God. You gave me these desires. And she shouldn't have been bathing out there in the first place. And we could say, David, you're ridiculous. <laughs> but don't we do the same thing? We start justifying our mistakes and our disobedience. It was owed to me. It was someone else's fault. It shouldn't have been there in the first place. I shouldn't have had these. I'm just wired that way. I, I just, I just, I just this kind of type A person. So when people don't do exactly what I want to do when they want to, I just explode. It's not my fault. God's your fault. And as a parent with Blake, I'm like, Blake, that is ridiculous. And I said, Blake, sometimes your brain is gonna lie to you. With you, Blake, most of the time your brain is gonna lie to you. What you need to do is you gotta listen to your heart to the spirit that's inside of you. And you got to say, Jesus, is this something that you want me to do? I'm going to fool myself. My desires are not always the things that I should be doing. And when we get into these cycles, it's only through the power of Jesus I can free us. Now, I don't want to minimize, you know, uh, seeking help, whether it's medically or therapy. Those are amazing tools, and I support those wholly but those are in addition to the power of Jesus if even if we look at aa they claim to be a ha- higher power and because they're kind of a public identity they can't name it as god or jesus but the reality is only jesus can set us free in luke 17 this is what jesus says jesus says he god has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners we see we get ourselves in these circles and we keep going back and forth with these habits and these hang-ups and these hurts. And we say, how am I getting in this? And just want to stop and say, you need the power of the Spirit to come in. And it's only through Jesus that we are free. And what are we free from? Are we free to do whatever we want to do? No. Jesus came to free us to do what God has called us to do to follow him, to be obedient to him. And I will tell you that when we are following Jesus and when we are in step with him, your life would be so much better than anything you would ever want. That God has said, I have come to give you abundant life. My burden is light. He is calling us to live in step with him. And when sin entangles us, and it enslaves us. He says, "Let me in, and I have freed you. Will you recognize the freedom that you have?" Paul says this in Romans six. We know that the person who used to be was crucified with him to put an end to sin in our bodies. Because of this, we are no longer slaves to sin. The person who has died has been freed. From sin. Your old self is gone, has been crucified, has nailed on the cross, is done. You are now walking in freedom with the power of the Holy Spirit. As the band comes up, I just want to give two stories of a book I just recently read. And it comes from a book called Fresh Wind and Fire, which was the beginning of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, which started with just a handful of people in a broken church that became a a church with thousands and thousands of of people and dozens of campuses. And Jim Cabela had a daughter who was not following Jesus, and this was his biggest hurt and hang up. He said, How am I supposed to be leading a church when my daughter is not following Jesus? I think there are parents here who are struggling with very similar things. Maybe there's a relative there that is having a, a relative, a daughter, a son, someone you know who's just in the cycle of sin, the cycle of just uh, feeling enslaved. And so he's struggling, and his daughter had left, had run away with a guy, and is just on the streets and doing who knows what. And at a prayer meeting, one of his elders said, we need to be praying for Jim's daughter. And so they prayed fervently, and they prayed passionately for his daughter. The next day, Jim was in his room shaving, and his wife said, you need to get downstairs, our daughter's home. And he goes downstairs, and the daughter is weeping and crying. And she says, Dad, who was praying for me last night? He said, what are you talking about? I was like, who was praying for me last night? Because last night, Jesus showed up, and Jesus showed me the abyss that I was headed towards. If I don't change my way, who was praying for me? And she did 180. She followed Jesus, and now her and her husband lead a church in Chicago. He says another story of a, a man who was addicted to drugs and he was homeless and after a Sunday service, this man came up and he went in his pocket to give him some money and the man says, I don't want your money and Jim said, I couldn't even be in the same room with him because the stench of urine was so strong that if I was within a couple feet, I would vomit and so I had to turn away when I talked to him and he said, I don't want your money, I want what you were talking about, I want Jesus. And so he prayed with them and he accepted Jesus. And then the church put him into rehab. He came out of rehab and then he became uh, involved in the church. And eventually he became the head of all the facilities and all their churches. And he had a family and healthy and living for Jesus. And it only comes through the power of Jesus that can get us out of this cycle. And so what I want us to know right now is two things. One, be aware of the enemy setting you up. Be aware that there is an enemy, there is a lion prowling around, and they're trying to, to get you in a position where you would fail. We are not immune from the enemy's attacks, but we are victorious in the spirit through what Jesus has done for us. So even though the enemy attacks, it will never win your soul if you turn to God over and over again. And that is the power that we have in us. That you can say, enemy, you can come at me, you can attack me, but there's no way. I'm going to be taken down because I got the spirit of Jesus in me. I have the Holy Spirit. God himself dwells in me and there's no attack that he cannot withstand so I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say no, I see what you're doing. You're going to try to isolate me. No, I'm not. I'm going to stay with my group. I'm going to stay here at Fireside as we say follow Jesus together. I'm to, I see what you're doing. You're, you're, you're breaking my pipes a little bit. You, my, my house siding needs some work and it's going to frustrate me and I'm going to get really good friends with the Home Depot guys but that's all." I, I'm not going to explode when something happens in my household, when my car breaks down. I see what you're doing, enemy. Or I'm not going to feel like I'm owed things or I deserve things because, God, you've given me so much to begin with. And when I have any success in this world, whether it's financial, relation, whatever it may be, God, I'm going to give you the glory, not myself. And I'm going to be aware of that, that my success, whatever that's defined, comes from you, Jesus. Because when I think it's from me, well, then I am primed for attack. And so that's my hope. And for anybody who may be struggling with things, I'd say come to this session of Finding Freedom. Because in this session, that's what we're going to be doing, is we're going to be talking about, and we're going to be raw. And be like, hey, you know, this is the cycle that I'm in. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm doing. I need people. There's going to be testimony. There's going to be conversations. There's going to be tools. I need people. There's going to be a step one says, you're not God. Someone says, oh, I can do this myself. I'm like, no, you can't. You're not God, but you need God. So, I want to encourage people hey, this session is not just for alcoholics. This is for anybody who's saying, hey, you know what? I'm in a cycle here and I need to get out and I need people and I know that the enemy's trying to, to attack me and so I need to equip myself. So, I could find freedom that only exists in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the power that you've given us to, to withstand any attack that comes our way. Oh, Jesus, we, we thank you, Lord, that you are bigger. Lord, we thank you that you are more powerful than anything in this world. And Lord, when we fail, because we will all fail, thank you for not turning your back on us. Jesus, thank you for continuing to be there with your arms wide open, Jesus. We love you. We praise you, God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?